Hi, I'm Rami. And I'm Shannon. And this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard to help all of us expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. Rami, what are we talking about this week? Is it perfect if we talk about what Nate got his degree in? <laughs> yeah. What did Nate get about... his degree in? Nate's degree is in philosophy. We're talking about moral philosophy, Shannon. Okay, here we go, listeners. <laughs> this is a big one. Yeah, big and also little in that uh, I read this book by Michael Schur. Michael Schur, Shannon, I think you will know from what he has produced as television. Uh, okay. He was a writer on The Office. Yeah, okay. He co-created... A show called Parks and Recreation. Uh, my doppelganger with... Leslie Nope. Leslie Nope and um, Ben, right? Is the, Wyatt, yeah. Ben Wyatt, yep. That's our couple doppelganger, Nate and I. <laughs> I love it. I've literally done and, a side-by-side picture before. I should find that for Instagram. And then this book most closely relates to The Good Place. So if anybody's familiar with The Good Place, a lot of what moral... The whole show is about moral philosophy. Mm. I, I watched episodes. Did they have three seasons? I think I watched two of the three. I didn't watch the last season, however many there were. Yes. I, I think there's four seasons. Okay. Maybe I didn't watch season four then. I watched everything except for the last season. I like all those shows. So you've seen The Good Place. So you understand that it is about moral philosophy. I mean, I wouldn't have put those words on it, but yes, I have seen The Good Place. But the whole show is about her trying to become a good person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like she's studying Kant and all those people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember her studying philosophers. Yeah, because Chidi, like her her like soulmate, yeah. like is a moral philosophy teacher, I so didn't he's the one like teaching all. her. It's been a long time. Okay, anyways, so <laughs> I think the author here, Michael Schur, is very obsessed with moral philosophy and was like, oh, I'm obsessed with this, but I'm also a TV writer, so maybe I can intertwine the two. I'm going to make a show about it called The Good Place so that I can still, like, nerd out on these things. Yeah. And nerd out to the point that, like, I can become, I can use a lot of studio assets to get more nerdy about these things because that's what the show is about. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like he can bring on some of the premier moral philosophists, philosophers, philosophers in the world to like work on the show, yeah. which allows him to like expand his knowledge base of moral philosophy while making a show that hopefully people enjoy. Well, that's awesome. The book is a very light read. Again, it's about moral ethics. It's, Going through things like um, deontology, utilitarianism, existentialism, Ubuntu, but it's still a light read that discusses moral ethics in a simple writing style that I think Nate would really like, but then I, as a newbie, also enjoyed. Mm. Uh, it's funny. He obviously writes comedies. It's a funny book. Um, but there's like a lot of deep insight that make it easy to understand complex uh, philosophical concepts and apply them to everyday life. Cool. So what I thought we could do is go through a few of those concepts 
um, give some examples, talk through the examples, and then hit on two of my favorite quotes after we do like a, a moral uh, predicament type example. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Shannon, how much do you know about these various things from having a partner who I assume knows a lot about them and is at least moderately interested in them? I I don't feel like I do. Uh, I remember when Nate and I first were dating, we talked a lot about philosophy because I was in college at the time and taking more philosophy courses. I couldn't tell you a thing. So I'm excited for my memory to be refreshed. All right. Well, let's dive in. So um, let's hit a few of them. And then I think three, we'll talk about examples of them. And then we'll hop into some other stuff. Uh, the first one, and I think I'm saying it wrong. So apologies to Nate and our <laughs> other moral philosophers. Uh, deontology. That's how I would read it. Okay. This is an ethical theory that emphasizes moral rules and duties. It holds that certain actions are inherently right or wrong, regardless of their consequences. So the example here would be lying is always wrong, even if it would lead to a good outcome. Okay. Or like killing someone is always wrong, even if it's going to save you or save a lot of other people. Yes. Yes. So go ahead. I noticed myself curious uh, what the rules are. When I hear that, it sounds a lot like religion, <laughs> but maybe, uh, or different, and I'm not saying any one particular religion, but just like how religion can kind of say like, this is right, this is wrong, don't do that. Uh, the examples that you gave all feel really like things that I would personally agree with, but maybe two or three years ago, I was having a conversation with a friend and she said to me, the things that we apply morality to that we make like a moral issue that really don't need to be is kind of shocking. You know, like how we apply morality to money or money management, how people manage their money and like if they're right or wrong because of that. Uh, it's just kind of mind boggling. So for me personally, growing up as religiously as I did, I am actually trying to apply morality to less things mm-hmm. and – yeah, not be so hard on myself or other people for how they choose to live their lives. I think we might have an option for you here in a second. Okay, channel. okay. Not the second <laughs> one, but I think the third one you might be big fan of. Okay. Um, okay, so deontology is super black and white. Like, it is either a good thing or it is a bad thing. There is no middle ground and you cannot do a bad thing because it is the right thing. If that makes sense. You cannot do a bad thing because it is the right thing. So the example you gave of like. You can't ever do a bad thing because lying is always bad. But if I need to lie to you because it's going to lead to a better outcome. Yeah. I still can't do it because it's still a bad thing. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Like I think about like um, (laughs) my siblings and I have sibling meetings because I have a crap load of siblings. to talk about my parents' care and we can't tell my mom that we're meeting because she freaks out and she feels excluded. It ultimately like leads to a good outcome that we don't, that we lie by omission because I was going to say, sorry, mom, if you're listening, she's not listening to this. <laughs> because uh, it, it just ramps up her anxiety, you know, it mm-hmm. just like gets her going, which she doesn't need to. So 
I guess so as I would be a bad deontologist. That. So as a strict <laughs> deontologist, you would be failing. Yeah, um, I would be failing. And you would not do that, right? You would go and tell your mom, like, hey, we're having secret meetings about you. Yeah, I, w- I would have to if I was a strict deontologist. Thank God I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I agree. Uh, okay, let's talk about the second one. Utilitarianism. This is an ethical theory that emphasizes the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So it holds that actions should be evaluated based on their consequences and that the best action is one that maximizes overall happiness or well-being. Okay, so let me give an example here. Uh, The decision to build a new highway through a city, which would reduce traffic congestion and improve transportation for many people. However, this may have a negative consequence for the people who live near it because they'll have increased noise pollution and decreased property values. But you say, okay, this is going to help a million people, and it's going to hurt a thousand people, so we're gonna we do need it. to do it. It's like very utilitarian. Like, is it is it is it the greater good? Yes? Okay, then we gotta do it. Yep. Yeah. This is different than in the movie Ever After, where they talk about... Have you seen the movie Ever After? From the is that the one with Drew Barrymore? That's like I have not seen it. Cinderella is it Romeo and Juliet? Uh, cin- like Cinderella-ish oh, Cinderella. okay. story. Yeah. Anyways, I've seen Home Fries. That's one where she goes to high school, right? No, that's I never been kissed. Seen Home Fries? Never been kissed I is the one where she goes to high school. Th- I do believe vaguely remembering seeing Never Been Kissed. Anyways, so right, in the book after. Ever After, she is like a lover of the book Utopia. Utopia is clearly is different from utilitarianism right because like utopia is like what is the ideal world you know but i guess yeah so it was initially you guys i was telling Robin before we got on i took some melatonin last night and my brain is not functioning the at hard high stuff speeds. the um, hard natural stuff yeah the hard natural stuff three milligrams man uh so uh, th- that i was getting a little bit turned around because i was thinking wait is that utopia is that that book that drew barrymore reads no it's not you tell it almost feels like the opposite so i get this on the surface i would be curious for an example i can't think of an example right now where utilitarianism has led to consequences it always leads to consequences but you're you're weighing them that's the thing is like if if it's over 50 percent, you do the thing yeah, but right. Like so you, where we... you always weigh it, and then you go for it if it's above fifty. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm, should I'm we put a prison? Like extreme consequences. You know, but I'm like... saying like extreme consequences for those people mm-hmm. are still outweighed by that it's supporting way more people. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, I those think people's this is lives a are going to sh- suck. Shit. I mean, because you could say that there are people in the past who maybe believed in utilitarianism. Um, I don't know, it's called colonization <laughs> that was actually really crappy for a lot of people. But at the time, they probably told themselves, well, this is for the greater good for a great number of people. So it doesn't matter if there's people that we stepped on. But ultimately, I think it ended up being a gr- not great for a large number of people. Anyways, I digress. What do you think of utilitarianism? I think it's interesting. I like I like how the two that we've talked about are so black and white, right? Like it's for deontology. It's like if lying is bad, you can't ever lie, right? It's very, it's very easy to understand. The same thing with utilitarianism. Is it supporting slightly more people than it's hurting? 
Yes. If so, you do it, right? Like they're very, at least for me, like very clear concepts. I don't know that I am uh, strict either of these things, but I, I like that I can clearly articulate them and understand them and say, okay, if I was deciding in a utilitarianism way today, here's how I would make that decision. Sure. Or if I was deciding as a deontologist, here's how I would make that decision. Sure. I, I hear what you're saying of like, we can like that they're so clear. They're so black and white because we just freaking crave clarity. <laughs> um, For sure. In our world. And I think we also agree that they're very, well, I don't know if we agree. For myself personally, I believe we need less of that in our world. We need more people who are capable of being with the gray, of being with nuance. And so many folks are looking for a set of rules to follow, a set of a philosophy that they can just live their lives by for the sake of like ease, for the sake of not having to then mentally process or have to think through different circumstances and treat them each as individuals or or unique cases that we lean on these things so hard, but it creates suffering. I agree. I think the the whole point of this whole episode is really lots of different moral philosophies to live your life by. Yeah. Uh, I'm just throwing a few out there because I think it's interesting. And also I think this book is fascinating. So if, any of what we're saying is even remotely interesting. Read the book and they will correct everything that I'm getting wrong here. I'm sure you're um, All right, let's talk about the third one and then we'll get into my my big my big question for you, Shannon. Okay. So the third one is existentialism. This is a philosophical movement that emphasizes individual freedom and choice. It holds that individuals create their own meaning in life and must take responsibility for their own choices and actions. I'm laughing because this sounds like shit that I say on the internet. (laughs) Remember I said the third one. I think you're going to like that one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me give the example. Um, One of the most famous ones is in Albert Camus' uh, novel, The Stranger. It tells a story of uh, Marisol, a man who kills an Arab man for no reason and then faces a trial for the crime. The novel explores themes of uh, existentialism, such as the meaningless of nice, meaninglessness of life, absurdity of existence, and importance of individual freedom and choice. Shannon, say what you're thinking, because I can see the, the wheels spinning. Well... Yeah, so so I'm thinking, yes, yesterday when we're recording this, not when you're listening to this, yesterday on Instagram, I uh, was, I, I recorded a story about, kind of about self-responsibility a little bit, acknowledging a moment in myself where I was wanting to take responsibility for how another person was feeling or take responsibility for someone else's comfort in a situation. But ultimately, like, I, I can't take responsibility for that. I can only take responsibility for expressing how I'm feeling and what I'm wanting and needing and kind of encouraging other people like, I don't know, maybe I'm not the only person that's moving through a sticky situation right now. If you needed this reminder, here's this reminder. But... There was also a part of me after I recorded that episode that was thinking about nuance. I'm reading this book to Talia right now (laughs) called Anna Hibiscus. And for me, it's been really enlightening to how different cultures live. Um, Because in the book, it's a big extended family culture 
where they all live together. You know, there's not just like their little family of the parents and the kids. It's Mm -hmm. all of them. And when I say living together, I mean like literally living in the same house. And so there's this sense of the phrase I was using with a friend of like this community of care, you know? And so it's like, well, you do kind of have to, I wouldn't say take responsibility, but be mindful about what does the collective need? I'm not saying go back to utilitarianism, but it does feel like, man, now we're getting deep. Sometimes I get sad because I feel like we are a society that's focusing so much on the culture of me that we're losing sight of the we and there's, and everyone is suffering for it, you know, because we feel so disconnected. You can stop me if you're like, whoa, shit, we're getting deep. No, Shannon, you're talking about Ubuntu. So you and I talked about Ubuntu before. So Ubuntu is another concept in this book, which is I am because we are. Mm -hmm. The belief in a universal bond of sharing that connects all humanity. So it's it emphasizes social unity and generosity of spirit, which is, I think, exactly what you are describing. Yeah, I guess I would choose the both. And can we live with existentialism and Ubuntu at the same time? Can we take personal responsibility for what is ours? And can we also uh, be mindful about the collective at the same time? For sure. And that's where I say, like, this is a this isn't a choose one, go live a horrible life. This is a, (laughs) here's a bunch of different concepts and maybe they apply to you at some points and maybe you apply them at other points. I just think that the whole space of moral philosophy is, is fascinating. And I think it gives us a lot of ways to challenge and think about how we make decisions. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into my big, moral philosophical philosophical question for you shannon okay what do you do with your cart when you're done with them at the grocery store i uh, well we go to a couple different grocery stores one is aldi where you literally like have to lock your cart back up to get a quarter the other one is target and i i put my cart away like i put it in the the cart corral why because a lot of reasons. I think because I value living in a neat and tidy space and I want to do my part to keep a space neat and tidy for other people so there's less chaos in the world. What would you tell Talia if she asked you? Like, Mom, why are we putting the cart away? Can't we just leave it? Look, that other cart because is just it's... sitting in the aisle next to ours. Can't we just put ours next to it? It's probably lonely. It wants another cart friend. <laughs> Uh, I would probably two things would come to mind that I would say because it's kind, like it's, it's a kind thing to do to make it easier for the people that are working there. That might be the fauner in me. Uh, and I would say, I would talk about responsibility. Like it's our responsibility. We got this cart. Did we get this cart from the middle of the parking lot? No. So am I going to leave it back in the middle of the parking lot? No, I'm going to put it away in a place that makes it easier for others to get their cart. Cause it was easy for us to get ours. I will actually take my cart from the middle of the parking lot. Um, okay. So you can't use that one, <laughs> but then I'll put it back. Uh, okay. So I will explain my rationale here in a second, but let me talk through this litmus test. 
Uh, so the shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task, and one which we all recognize as the correct, appropriate thing to do. To return the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart and leave it wherever you would like. Therefore, the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart or fine you or kill you if you just leave it wherever you want to. Uh, And outside of Aldi, you gain nothing by returning (laughs) the shopping cart. And in Aldi, you are only not losing in that instance because you more than likely had to supply your own quarter. Right. Um, The only reason you return the shopping cart is because it is the right thing to do do you know anyone who doesn't return a shopping cart have you been in a like parking lot there's shopping carts everywhere i guess i'll have to pay more more attention next time but what i was thinking i was thinking i don't think i know a single person like know them personally who doesn't return a shopping cart and so the story that i choose to tell, tell myself whenever i do see a shopping cart is that it was like a busy parent who was juggling like three kids and they forgot to put the shopping cart back. Where do they leave it then? Just like floating away? Yeah. Like, have you ever, I've had those moments where I have Talia and my brother's kids and it's like, I'm not saying I've ever done this on purpose, but I can imagine that there's been a scenario where I've just had like so much going on, so many kids to like wrangle and like get in their car seats and get the groceries in that I might forget that final step of once all the kids are in the car, taking the cart and putting it back. So the story I choose to tell myself is that these aren't people that are being like willfully shitheads. (laughs) They're just distracted, busy, had something else going on and they forgot to put it away. Maybe I'm too kind. (laughs) I think one look next time you go because uh, I'm sure you'll see a lot more stray carts than you would have expected. I've always done it, but I will give you my backstory, and then I'll ask you another question here. Okay. Uh, I used to be a cart boy at Cub Foods yeah. in Sunray, and oh, there were Sunray. carts everywhere. We went All to the Sunray growing up. What? That's not even in Wisconsin. No, it's not. Sunray Mall. TJ Maxx yeah. was there. Uh-huh. My mom's favorite thrift store was there. That may have uh-huh. been after your time. Anyways... Keep going. No, that's my that's my cub. So as a person who experienced the annoyance of cart corralling, I always put it back. And like with Prince, it's like, we got a cart. We're putting the cart back. And he's like, but there are carts over there. And it's like, that's fine. They chose to leave their cart there. We are always going to put it back because it's so annoying as a cart person to slowly make your way through and like pull the carts from every which way. Um so let me ask you this, Shannon. Yeah. H- how much of the things that we find as a moral thing to do, do you think are based on our lived experiences versus our ability to be empathic towards others? In the cart situation, I'm doing it because I experienced it. I would hope that I could empathically say, oh, that person's life is going to suck so i'm going to put it back but i feel like there are a lot of moral things that we take on as crusaders Mm -hmm. once we've experienced and lived them Mm -hmm. rather than just seeing that it's 
not a good thing for another group of people or a person. Yeah, so your ultimate question is, how much do I think people are doing this from lived experience versus just from a natural empathic state? Correct. I think most of it is happening from a natural empathic state because we can't possibly have all the lived experiences, you know? Like, for example, I was thinking, I've never had the lived experience of being a cart boy, cart person, so I don't know. But I still want to do it. On the flip side... I do have lived experience of being a server in a restaurant. And so Nate and I are always very like nice and kind, you know, to, to serve as a restaurant. Even if the ter- service is like freaking terrible, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're going to be compassionate. That's a good, okay. So that's a good example. But when you look around at a restaurant at people leaving, are, is everybody tidying up their space like you or are a lot of people leaving it? Uh, I don't know if I pay that much attention, Rami. <laughs> attention to like where cars are in parking lots things in restaurants i don't know i think i'm just like being with my family at that moment. i'll pay attention next time and i'll let you know pay attention but i would say it's it's gotta come more from a place of empathy because we can't possibly all have lived experiences doesn't this remind you of the Brene brown episode we did where you told yeah, but me i don't i don't ahead. think it is i think people are crusaders for things only because they've lived and experienced it and until it impacts them i think the the easy uh solution is like i don't care and that's not a thing that i care about that makes me really sad for our world if that's the case because then we're going to be living in a utilitarian world where people are doing where people are potentially doing what's best for the greater good because the greater good isn't a cart boy. The greater good isn't a server in a restaurant or not the greater good. The greater population isn't those things. Or frankly, like let's apply some more serious issues. Like I'm going there like (laughs) gun violence, you know, like I would hope to God most people have not experienced a shooting. And I would hope to God that most people are working to create change. What's the latest pull on that? 80 plus percent of the U.S. population believes in the AR-15 ban. Like, I'm hoping 85 percent of the population has not experienced gun violence and just wants to do that because they think it's like the right thing to do. And I'm not saying they had to, like, be the one to, like, have gun violence affect them. But, like, if it affects your community, like, that's affecting you. And I don't know that we can say at this point that gun violence hasn't affected most communities across the nation. Yeah. Even if we think of community as, like, the region that you live in, like, you can't say that you have avoided it. Yeah. Like, I'm remembering, yeah, a school shooting in Minnesota. Yeah. That has happened in my lifetime. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I think it takes for a lot of these types of subjects where moral philosophy would be applied. I think it takes for a lot of people a experience, whether tangentially or directly, that causes them to have a very uh, black and white approach to that situation. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Uh, let's talk about my two favorite quotes from this book. And uh, at the end of it, you guys, do whatever you feel feels right morally. <laughs> whatever you want. And if you think it's interesting, then 
please read this book is fantastic. And the word perfect, the book is called how to be perfect. Uh, the word perfect has got a space in it. So it's actually not perfect, which I think is fun. Funny. Uh, okay. The first one is from Samuel Beckett. The quote is try again, fail again, fail better. Okay. I really like this. I like the idea of planning to fail. I like comfort and failure. I like learning. And I like the idea. It's like it, the, the bar feels very comfortable for me in this quote in that like, Oh, I'm going to fail again. I just like, I need to fail better this time. So it's not like be perfect. It's, Oh no, you, you're a fallible human being. You're not going to be perfect and you're going to fail. So just try and fail better next time. That's all. Yeah. It reminds me of, I just looked it up. Episode 132 with the side hug with the quote, success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. And then I had a big Mm -hmm. problem with that because I was like, that is not success. I would say, what you're describing is is more it's not going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm right it's like well if you're not learning what's the point this is more indicative with my my thinking yes try again fail again then fail better <laughs> the yeah. next time okay um and then this last quote which i think is probably my favorite thing in this book is from maya angelo uh do the best you can until you know better and then when you know better do better. Yeah, Oprah says that all the time. When you know better, do better. She does? Oh, yeah. Oprah says that all the time. Because she and my Angela were good friends. Oh. So, when you know better, do better. That's in my head from all the Oprah that I spent wa- watch or all the time I spent watching Oprah when I was growing up as a kid. <laughs> I love my that. mom watched Oprah all the time. I think this is great. It's one of those things, and I think about it with my kid all the time. Right? Like, you just have to do the best you can until you know better. And then once you know better, learn from that and then do better. Yeah. We say that to Talia a lot. Maybe I should put it in the bigger context of this quote because when she just hears do better, I don't know that she gets it. Poor kid. Yeah. That's that's a hard Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a hard I statement hear to take. Nate saying, like, we've talked about this before. Do better. It's like uh-huh. eh. This quote might might provide more context on that. Okay, so that's it. There's a lot of different philosophies. You can pick, you could choose um, if you want to live your life to be perfect, but that ain't happening. So just like climbing a mountain, there's no single path or approach. So do what makes sense and speaks to you. Like pick one for one thing, one for the other. If you find it interesting, read the book. It's fascinating. Um I don't know. I feel like I'm envious of Nate and all of his education with moral philosophy now, because it seems like a very fascinating subject that I think is a very slippery slope once you choose to be a deontologist and can no longer lie or something. (laughs) It's one of those things. It's like the Maya Angelou quote, right? Like, if you know about all these moral philosophies, you now have to do better because you know that they exist and you could choose to follow one of them. So maybe I don't want to know anything else. I think I feel good. (laughs) I'll take this Maya Angelou quote and I will run with it. Um, We would love for you guys to connect with us on LinkedIn, on Instagram. I want to know if you guys really connect with one of these or if there's another one that you really connect with. Um, And if you are a person who 
chooses to not put the card away on purpose, let us know. Yeah. If you are a person who chooses <laughs> to put the card away, tell us why you do it. Yeah. I want to hear. Yeah. I want to hear why. Are you doing it for little Rami who is like sweating and huffing in Sunray? <laughs> or are you doing it for other reasons, like a free quarter at Aldi? Not free. It's probably... You know, if you find a loose back. card at Aldi, you definitely oh, found a free quarter. Oh, I see quarter. what you're saying. I see if you put cards back that weren't yours. Gotcha. Okay. All right. With that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami, and this has been Replace Hugs. <laughs>